Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. All right, today's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus And all of God's people say, amen. Thank you, Stella. That was my wardrobe change. I'm going to spin around there. It's more for me than for you. Okay. Good morning again. Welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square, and Merry Christmas again. Uh, This morning, we opened this couple presents, and uh, I got, my wife gave me a Ted Lasso uh, calendar, and... It seems appropriate then to quote from season two. Ted Lasso is talking to his uh, boss, and he says this to her in reference to Christmas. He says, how are you going to spend the rest of Santa's birthday about Christmas? And I thought that was a a tongue-in-cheek way to allude to the fact that Christmas is about Jesus' birthday, but also point out that for most people, Christmas has nothing to do with Christ. And perhaps the reason why is because the true meaning of Christmas for most people, for a lot of people, has lost its luster. And I don't believe, I'm not talking about us versus them, I'm talking about everybody. Because I think that's the reason why I think a lot of us would rather sleep in. I think that's the reason why a lot of us would rather sign off. I think the reason why we have these feelings is, I think for a lot of us, we think we just want just a momentary moment of physical or mental or emotional uh, respite. Because we don't really believe there's a cosmic, eternal, infinite respite possible for us. But I want to ask today, this morning, I want to ask, what if? What if there was more? No matter what you believe, no matter where you come from this morning, whether you don't know what you believe, whether you're sure you know what you believe, I would argue that Christmas is not what it could be in your life. And what I want to do this morning is I would like to uh, just spend time considering the true meaning of Christmas. It is Christmas. It won't be Christmas on, 
a Sunday for, for seven more years. So it, it makes sense to us, I think, for us to process this. And I think our text helps us. And the way our text helps us is by giving us and telling us and helping us into knowing who Jesus is at Christmas through his names. And we're given in this text two names. And so my Christmas gift to you is only two points. Two names, two points. Let's look at what does the name of Jesus, what do the names of Jesus tell us about Christmas? So number one, the first name, Jesus' name. Our text is from the book of Matthew. There's only two books in the Bible that go through Jesus' birth, Luke and Matthew. Luke looks at Jesus' birth from Mary's perspective. This is from Joseph's perspective. And so I want us to try to get into here. In verse 18, we see that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And I had to look this up because I think a lot of times we think betrothal is like today's engagement period, but that's actually not the case. Engagement is a promise, but it's not a legally binding process that we have today. Betrothal was. Betrothal was, because you know that, look at verse 19. It says, but Joseph, uh, because Joseph was her husband. So there was some level of, even though they weren't quite married, he was still husband, which means there was a legal precedent here. Essentially, what betrothal was, it was a one-year uh, kind of waiting period to basically make sure that the man's going to be faithful and the woman is not going to be pregnant or get pregnant. And yet, that's exactly what happens here. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Mary shows up and says this, you got to believe me. You got to believe me. I, 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 I don't know what happened. It's mysterious. It's a miracle, but I'm pregnant. And it wasn't me, but it, it's me, and I'm pregnant. And you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, and you know, think of the stress he must have been under. He had no precedent for this. He's, he's, he's had, there's no you know, uh, regularity of miraculous virgin births. And all of a sudden, his betrothed wife is saying, you have to believe me. What, what do you think he's, he's thinking? He's thinking this. In this culture, there is so much shame in this space. And he's saying to himself, this act is shameful. And so he comes to the conclusion in verse 19 that he's going to divorce her quietly. And the reason why he does this is because look at the verse, next verse, verse 20. It says that he's considered this. After he's considered this, that word consider is very benign. But in Greek, it has all these connotations of bewilderment and anger and hurt and betrayal. And the reason why is because of at this time, this might be one of the worst things that, that could have happened to him. The shame, the dishonor. And so this is the space he's in. And at, in this space, the angel in verse 20 shows up, and it says, the, when the angel shows up, it says, do not be afraid. And actually, I was thinking about this this week. Most people think that the reason why the angel's saying do not be afraid is because he's an angel and there's this supernatural being. But I want us to consider, maybe he was, was going to be afraid because of what the angel's going to tell him next. It says, do not be afraid. Why? Very next phrase. Because you, I want you to take, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. So don't be afraid in general. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, why would he be afraid to take Mary home as his wife? I think we know why. Because if he did, if he did not divorce her quietly, it would mean, what would his parents think? What would his in-laws think? What would everybody else around him think? They would think it this. If he would take her home, it would mean that he must have done it. He must have did it to her. 
It must, have, it must be his child. How else, why else would he stay with her? And so what the angel is asking him to do is to sign himself up for a life of shame, for a life of being ashamed, for a life of everywhere he would go, everywhere where she would go, there would be this lifetime of people misunderstanding them. And so put yourself in the confusion and the chaos and the hurt that Joseph is being asked to own, to be forever talked about behind their backs, to be forever slandered. Wherever they would go, they would say, there goes crazy Mary with her virgin birth. There goes crazy Joseph who said that he talked to an angel and stayed with her because he's supposed to. Everywhere they would went, they would go, they would have been slandered, talked about, uh, dishonored, reputation ruined, and it probably hurt to know that was the world he was being signed up for. Now, fine, Joe's going to be misunderstood, but some of you are like, well, you know, at least he understands what's going on, right? Wrong. Look at the text again. The angel never explains how this all happened. It says the most we're given is that she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. No offense, guys, that's not enough. Because if you're Joseph, first of all, who's the Holy Spirit? He didn't have any context for the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean that it's through the Holy Spirit? Again, it's still very mysterious. He is not told why, and he is not told how this has happened. Now, some of you are like, okay, sure, but at least maybe after this, their life gets better, right? Well, we know in the book of Matthew that when they go to the temple, they offer a sacrifice, and it's two doves. And what you need to know from Old Testament uh, Jewish temple practices, the only people that can offer two doves is the very poorest class of, of, of entire Israel. And so that means that Joseph and Mary end up, the rest of their lives, they're in the bottom rung of the socioeconomic uh, class. And they're so poor that their baby is born in a feeding trough. You know, it says, remember, there's, there's, there was no room at the inn? I bet you there was room at the at inn, inn if you had enough money. There was room at somebody's house if you had enough money. They didn't have it. And they were so oppressed, they were threatened by others. They had to run away to a faraway land. And you say, okay, Mike, what's, what's your point? Your point? My point's this. Your life is chaos too. You are not told how your life is going to work out. You are not told why things are happening to your life. And just like Mary and Joseph, where they're living a life of shame and poverty and tiredness, you have cancer, you have hurt feelings, you have friends that have abandoned you, you have bad family problems, you have financial issues, you have hurts and slights. There is an immense world stacked against you right now. And if you're lucky enough to have the divine talk to you, Often what you find is God doesn't tell you how or why. And my question to you this morning is this. Where does Joseph get the strength? Where will you and I get the strength to survive in this world? And not just survive, how can we even thrive in this environment? And the answer given is the name Joseph is given in verse 21. The angel doesn't tell you how, doesn't tell you why, says, I want you to name the baby that's coming Jesus. And why? Because Jesus saves and why does he save? Because he will save his people from their sins. And again, I'm tr- I keep trying to put my f- my, myself into Joseph's shoes. Imagine how he's feeling. Hey, I'm not going to tell you how to solve your earthly problems, but you know what? I'm going to give you the person who's going to solve all problems. That's what he's given. That uh, Jesus saves means God is coming to the rescue. Your life is crazy. There's chaos everywhere. Death is all around us. 
No one understands you. Nobody's going to fully believe you. Nobody's going to fully take care of you at all times. And by the way, what culture tells you is this. Optimize your life. Eat better. Sleep better. Work out. Get a schedule. uh, Get things done. The world will tell you how to optimize your life. And by the way, optimization is good. Please do that. That's great. But guess what? Optimization can't save you. It can't save you. This is saying there is something that you need that's more than just the reason for your pain. There is something that you and I need more than the immediate relief from our pain. And the answer that this text says is it's in his name. That Joseph, by the way, if you're Joseph, you probably could only see your own pain. And yet the angel says, I have the answer for all of pain. Joseph only saw his world falling apart, and yet through his crumbling world, God saves the world. Where is your world falling apart? Where is your world crumbling, but God might be actually saving the world through it? I find that a fascinating question to ask myself. Where are the parts of my life that are feeling worthless, hurt, bad, but God is redeeming the world through it? See, the mystery of the universe is that God saves through Joseph's broken world, and he saves through your broken world. And I would argue that as long as you feel like you're at the center of your life, of your own story, you're going to always wonder, is there going to be a happy ending? But if at the center of your life is him, and he's redeeming all things and fixing all things, there is a happy ending. So this is saying this, I'm at work in your crazy. I'm at work in your chaos. I'm at work in your life, and I'm not going to tell you how, and I'm not going to tell you why, I'm not going to tell you how long, but I'm at work. I wonder if we spent one-tenth of the time that we spend our time in optimizing our lives, thinking about and focusing on the one who saves, I wonder how much our lives would change. Notice, your, your circumstances wouldn't change, but your perspective would. And when your perspective changed, our lives would too. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Now, some of you, by the way, if you're, if you're listening, you'll be pushing back right now and saying, okay, actually, Michael, I saw what you just did there. You're trying to scoot along. Um, you brought up the fact that he doesn't tell you. Why? If God is so great, if he saves, you're, why doesn't he tell us? Why doesn't he tell us the how and the why? I get this question a lot as a minister, by the way. In my experience, personally, my, my personal experience, oftentimes we're not told. Sometimes years later, I can see how God healed through my hurt. I can see how he's changed me and, and loves me through the hardship. But I, more often than not, I don't. And I was trying to explain this to my 12-year-old the other day. And I said this to her. I said, you have three-year-old cousins, do you, do you not? And she's like, yes, I do. And I said, okay, are there things that you can't explain to your three-year-old cousins that you understand, but they can't? And she's like, yeah. And I said things like, I don't know, maybe why shots, as much as shots hurt, they're good for you. Or maybe, here's another thing you can't explain. You can't always eat candy all day. 
right? You might want to eat candy all day, but you shouldn't eat candy all day. It's really hard to try to explain that to a three-year-old. And you as a 12-year-old, you know that answer, but they don't. And so I said, is that, so is this the case? And, the, and she was like, yeah. And I said, okay, well, here's, here it is then. If it's true that because there's a gap between you who's 12 and they're three, and by the way, there's a gap between me who's in my 40s and you who's 12, and so there are things I can't explain to you, is it possible, can we imagine that there are things that the infinite God of the universe just can't explain to us because we're young in time or in faith? And she got kind of quiet. And I, and I knew she was processing. And I said to her, for whatever reason, that moment I said to her, well, you know something? Your dad loves you, though. I, I desperately love you. And I'm going to be there for you. And wherever there's, when you're about to fall, I'm going to grab you and pick you up. If you are about to be hurt, I'm going to enter into that hurt with you. If you're, gonna, if you're about to be hit, I will take that hit for, hit for you. I will dive in front of that bus for you. I will take the impact. And I want you to know that. Do you know that? Because that's what dads do for daughters. But that's what Jesus saves means as well. Jesus saves his salvation is not just, by the way, mine's just physical or emotional or spiritual or maybe even financial. His is cosmic and eternal and powerful. And that's the promise that we're given in the name. Folks, we don't realize God saves. Jesus saves. Means that at the worst moment in your life, he's at work. Through your shame through your sin, through your sorrow, through adversity, animosity, addiction. I argue that often what happens, because we're so, uh, I think as particularly New Yorkers, we're type A individuals, we want to write the narrative and story of our own lives. The problem is, is you don't know how your life is going to end. Right? Don't write the end of your story if you don't know how it's going to end. I, I'm just going to confess to you, I tend to worry. And when I'm hurting, I'm trying to figure out how is it going to end. And I think out all the possibilities. And I turn my mind and I stay up at night and I can't, I'm trying to think through all the possibilities because I'm trying to figure it out. At best, that's futile because I'll never, I'll never get there. And at worst, it's sinful because I'm still trying to be the master and commander of my own life. And yet what this is telling us, don't do that. Joseph had no idea how it was going to end. He had no idea how he was going to make it through a life of shame, how he was going to make it through a life of a ruined reputation, of hurt and in poverty, and yet he was able to, through a name, look at verse 24, he's able to wake up and obey and go and do as what was commanded purely, not because he knew why, not because he knew how, but because he had his name. And friends, I'd say the same thing for you. Will you go out and do the same? Will you be able to obey and love and serve? If he's here to save the world, even through your world, your pain's not writing your story, nor is your abilities, by the way. Your abilities are not writing your story. He's writing the story and redeeming it and saving it. All right, first name, number one. Number two, lastly, last name given. I think a lot of folks say, well, that's pretty powerful. That's great. God saves. It's not enough. You say, well, how's it, why is it not enough? It's not enough because every ancient religion has this idea that God is big and great and saves, right? The big man in the sky is in every religion, that God is powerful and big. That's not, that's a, pro, that's a big important part. But the problem is as big and as great as he is, is he good? That's still the everyday question we have. How do I know he's good? And I believe Matthew literally spells it out for us in verse 23. As he quotes Isaiah, he says, we have Emmanuel. And then he puts into the parentheses, by the way, that means God with us. 
Emmanuel is actually a Hebrew word. It's a compound word. Emmanuel is with us, and El is from Elohim. So it means God with us. You say, okay, why is that so special? Well, it's special because, first, it's utterly unique. It's utterly unique. Ancient people had a concept that God is great and big and wonderful and powerful, but you can't get close to greatness, so you have to sacrifice, you have to obey, you have to perform, you have to appease, and therefore there's zero intimacy. There's ve- I think modern people have a hard time with this, but if God is so big and great and you're not, then you can't get close to him. We're different. Modern people, we're the opposite. We want intimacy. We want God close to us and near us. But I don't want him necessarily to be great enough to tell me how I need to live my life. I don't want him to be so big enough to, to be ruler of my life. And I believe that's why Christianity is so unique. Because Christianity shows up here and slams together awe and intimacy powerfully. Right? Intimacy without awe has no power to save. And awe without intimacy, God's great and big to save, but will he? Christianity says, the gospel says, you get awe and intimacy. And that means on the one hand, you're so sinful, he had to die for you. And yet since he has the power to, that's awe. And yet, he wanted to die for you. He, he, does, he thought it was worth it to die for you. And that's intimacy. I went to Rockefeller Center yesterday. It was really cold. And um, I went there with my extended family, and we saw the tree. And every story we went into, there was Christmas carols, ones that we just sang. But it's in, it's in culture. I remember we walked by a car, and there was Christmas carols blaring inside the car that I could hear outside of it. It's all around us. We, we uh, you know, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. O come, O come, O Emmanuel. We literally sing that so- those songs, and yet we hear these words, and we're not moved by them. And I think the reason why we're not moved is because we don't know how to hold together awe and intimacy. You only have power when they're held together. When you hold them together, what you have, Jesus saves, God Emmanuel is with us, and so put them together and you have Jesus Christ Emmanuel. That's the only way Joseph could stay with Mary is because he realized that God stayed with him. He could only give his life to her because he saw that he gave his life for him. And I believe the only way that you and I will stay in our relationships, will stay in the hurt, we will ante up tomorrow, that we will wake up in the, the next day, that we will put our lives on the line through the hurt and the pain and the unfairness and the slander and the, the nastiness of, of the day, is if we see Jesus and have seen his relationships torn and seen himself slandered, and seeing his hurt and his pain and his unfairness and his name hurt. See, this is what's so crazy. The king of the universe created people who don't believe in him. That there is no, there, how do I put this? There's, that's much, much worse than anybody who doesn't believe in you right now. There's worse slander and worse hurt and worse unfairness that he endured, which then actually in small ways helps us endure as well. That is what it means to have God with us. My God is with me, friends, and that's why I can be with you, and that's why you can be with them. And I would, argue, I would ask you, do you see this? Do you see his presence right here? I think Joseph did. And let me, let me back up again. That doesn't mean he didn't have sleepless nights. It doesn't mean he didn't ask regularly the, the, the how and the why. But he got a who. 
And because he got the who, the God who saves and is with us, that was enough to serve Mary. That was enough to be with her. He had no idea how he was going to make it through the shame and the hurt and the pain. He had no idea how he was going to be able to make it in the future, that it was going to be hard. And your life's going to be hard too. But God with you and God saves together all in intimacy changes everything. Because that's what you find in the incarnation. In the incarnation, you have the vulnerable becoming, sorry, the invulnerable becoming vulnerable. You have the unshakable becoming shakable. You have the, uh, the, uh, the power of Jesus in a baby. And when Jesus broke into history as a baby, he's, he's breaking the old narrative. You know how the narrative used to go? And then there was death. That's, by the way, the end of everybody's narrative until the incarnation came in. And now you have light after darkness. You have life after death because of the incarnation. He rewrote the narrative. And that's what Christmas is about, friends. Joseph, from this moment, didn't know the how or the why, but he had the who. And that was enough to know that he would never be alone again. Do you know that? That's the key to Christmas. That's the point of Christmas. But friends, it's also the key to all reality. And the question is, is will you accept it? You have to accept all of it. But why? Because he can only save because he's with us. And he is most, most with us when he dies for us. And he dies for us, why? Because of your sin. And the more you know your sin and your faults and, and admit it, unlike the lady I talked about a couple months ago who said, oh, that's, that's self-hatred. No, it's the time where we can be honest. And the more you can be honest— the more you'll know your need, the more you see what he's given you, the more you'll see his greatness and love for you. And when you feel you're not that bad, friends, you're not going to feel his love. But the more you live, the more you realize your need, the more all you can have of his greatness, and the more all you have of your greatness, the more you can come to him in intimacy. My question to you is, are you up for that? For me, it's regularly saying in intimacy, I failed. I can't do enough, but you can. And that's the secret. I figured out who my real friends were in college. You know when? Not when I was doing great. It was when I was messing up. It was when I was flawed. It was when I, was when I, I made major mistakes, and they came to me and said, those mistakes hurt me. That was hard. But I'm with you, and I love you. It's the same thing with Jesus. You will know his commitment to you. You'll know his love for you, not when you think you're doing great and when you're doing wonderful. It's when you know you're not. It's when you realize you're not and that you aren't, and yet he was here for that. That he knew about that thing that you didn't know about about yourself before you knew about it. And he was here for you for that too. And so let me end this way. Friends, don't give up on Jesus. He didn't give up on you. And if the incarnation proves God wants to be with you, my question to you this morning is let's go be with him. Maybe it just begins with one little phrase. You can say, dear Jesus, maybe I've never talked to you. Maybe I've never come close to you. Maybe I, I've never really put myself in a long time near you. But here I am. Will you listen? And what the incarnation shows you is he went through that to get near to you. He's going to love to hear that from you. And in time, I hope that we will come to see if he came near us, then we can go and go out into the world to be near them. Right? The incarnation, there's a whole other sermon here of how he, he embodied his presence to be near us we can take what we are and be near others and serve them and be present with them and be active with them because Christmas means Jesus saves and he's with us. 
awe and intimacy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is good news. The good news of Christmas is the beginning of the end. It's light in the darkness. I worry that we hear this too often in, because we hear it in our Christmas carols every Christmas time, and it doesn't floor us. It doesn't move us. I pray that we see that all without intimacy, you might be great, but we're not sure if you're good. Intimacy without all, you'll be with us, but we're not sure you're going to do anything about it. But all in intimacy together in Jesus Christ is a life-changing paradigm. It changes everything. It lets us not necessarily know the how or the why, but we have the who. And we have you. I pray you move in our hearts. I pray you change us powerfully in new ways. This Christmas morning. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.